A couple of years ago, my best friend Mario co-founded a food waste startup in Berlin called Spark Global, picking up food waste from wholesalers. And you would be so surprised all the stories that I got to hear of these massive trucks filled to the top with food, which is pretty much still perfectly edible, that they would have to figure out where to bring this to, like, where do you donate like tons of chicken breasts. So my best friend would each week bring a big box of food waste, which consisted of delicious berries, maracuyas, a bunch of vegetables, some random pasta, cookies, etc. I don't know why I said that in a a slightly Italian accent. (laughs) Well, barely anything looked even close to being food waste. It was ridiculous. But it also makes total sense because the food that wholesalers sell to retailers still needs to be so fresh that it will be fresh long enough in the grocery store and fresh enough once you take it home. What's unsellable for wholesalers is usually still pretty good. One day Mario brought a big glass jar with apple crumble pie filling. Yes, (laughs) you heard me right. Yum. With apples that they had rescued because they're collaborating with a chef. And Mario found me in the kitchen with a big spoon in my hand, as well as a big grin on my face as I was totally stealing his apple pie filling. No shame whatsoever. (laughs) So I giggled and I proudly said, I just want to save you from calories. So it turns out that the apple pie filling was made by today's interview guest, Monica, who's also the founder of Roots Radicals. Roots Radicals is a company that upcycles by two levels. One is by working with rescued fruits and vegetables and making food preserves mainly out of them. And secondly, by circular cooking, where we use the byproducts to create new products. So one product can have maybe a constellation of three products that are born within. And the third and very big value of Roots Radicals is it lies within education, communication, transparency, and also giving workshops and empowering people to be inspired and reconnecting to food to push towards a movement of change. Monica Aguirre, originally from Peru, holds a PhD in molecular biology and biochemistry and dedicated 12 years of her life to doing research. Before, she switched and became a chef and artist, with now 10 years of experience in the culinary scene. And this combination of having the scientific background, but then also the culinary experience is what inspired me to talk with her about the topic of food waste. I know we tend to be quite tech-centric at red to green and This interview may not give you a bunch of hard facts, but I believe it may inspire you and us all with a different way to look at food and food waste from a standpoint of cultural traditions, respect and creativity. I'm sorry that there wasn't an episode last week. I got hit with COVID, but I'm back and in great spirit, as you may be able to hear. So I hope you will enjoy this interview as much as I did. Let's jump right in. This is Red to Green, the audiobook style podcast where food tech meets sustainability. You're listening to season four on food waste. To support our work, please subscribe and share the episodes with your colleagues and friends. I'm your host, Marina Schmidt. So you say like with Roots Radicals, 
you want to focus on seasonal, on regional cooking and reducing food waste, how do you feel is seasonal and regional connected to reducing that? Yes, so obviously the dimension of food waste goes beyond this, but I think when we focus on seasonality and when we focus on regional, we're also focusing on our surroundings. We're used to eating from everywhere, and I think many things won't change regarding that, like coffee, we want them all year round, and with some of those things it can be okay, but I think if we just value a bit more the season and value a bit more what is around us, we can be more impactful in what we eat every day. The regional approach is what gives us a bit more of a focus on the respect that food deserves. It is interesting how easy it is to be out of touch with food and especially living in a city when there's no agriculture inside and food just seems to appear in the grocery store. I was talking to a friend of mine recently and he was, was in summer and I was buying apples and he was like, Marina, what are you doing? You're buying apples. Well, why again? Like, they're there, you know, <laughs> they're fine. <laughs> He's like, yeah, but they're from last year, you know, from the last autumn apple season and I was like I did not have that on my mind while being in the grocery store because there's no distinction actually between what's seasonal and oftentimes also not between what's regional and what's far away and I know one of the books that you like is connected to that it's on food in the city and how it changes our connection to it what was it again? Caroline Steele Caroline Steele, she's an architect. She wrote this book and she quotes that food has become invisible in our cities. She gave a talk a few years ago that I went to see and was so interesting because she also showed how cities have changed so much. How at the very beginning of when metropolis or cities were being built, everything was sort of focused in the market where all the trade would happen. And the marketplace was obviously very near farmland, right? Because cities weren't so big as they are now. So with time, what has happened definitely is that there is invisibility, you know? Food is just now either divided, whether it's bio or not bio, but you're not connecting with the farmer, you're not connecting with the hands, you're not connecting with the effort that went into making all of that food Farm tours can be like such opening days of experience. Whenever I go to the farm to help plant or just to talk to the farmer and see how he or she decided to dedicate their lives to give us the food that ends up in that supermarket aisle. All of that story of that effort and everything has been interrupted because suddenly it's more about the spending and more about like the industrial competition and the massive production rather than really the value of food in its essence, of nutrition, of feeding and of peoples and stories. And that disconnection no, between the urban and the rural, that context that has been broken in Berlin, in, in Germany, in Peru, in its other ways, you know, every place has its own way of having evolved into this disconnection is what eventually I think brings much of the difficulty in trying to fix this problem as a collective effort. Because it is us that we need to understand that we need to value food for industry to actually change because they will otherwise not survive, I guess. So I think bringing back visibility and showing the space, even if it's not because we're not farmers, right? We work in a kitchen, but showing process makes things less invisible, right? And then opens the door for connection. 
Hmm. Yeah, in Portugal, where I am right now, there are these lovely farmers markets. I mean, like my Portuguese is really not at that level yet to talk to a local farmer, <laughs> <laughs> but there's the connection to the actual food and the food producer, and you can see like the passion in their eyes when they tell you about their olives and how like oh no, the green olives are also fantastic and. It's actually interesting that a lot of people think most of the food is produced with industrial means, by industrial agriculture, but more than 50% of the world's food is still produced by smallholder farms and a, and a very different system. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's a way to really bring back care into food or to not lose it. You talk about zero waste and that you want to cook in a way that's zero waste how do you define it what does it mean to you so there's a few things that we do like one is obviously sourcing from what i always try to say the the sort of new food chain that is a collective effort to reduce food waste like different people different initiatives different companies working along the food chain to rescue and we are always buying from that but i think ultimately the most important thing when we talk about zero waste cooking is to find value in everything in our kitchen so the pineapple chutney the pineapple chutney has onions and it has pineapples and then it has some chilies and some other things but the pineapples need to be peeled and the onions need to be cut and trimmed and there's always when you process food even in, in our own kitchens right we always have some leftover. So when I go to saying about zero waste, what we talk about is also that there is no waste, that all of these byproducts actually have a lot of possibilities to be used as a different way. And that's when we use the pineapple peels, for example, to make vinegar, or we use the leftovers of the onions to dry them and make a spice, or maybe not no longer for food, but make dyes with it and give them to someone else. And that's where the circular economy concept comes in, right? Where there is like really no concept of waste in nature so why should we talk about waste when we just have to see everything that is a side or byproduct as something that has an opportunity for us to nourish ourselves to be creative and to find other ways of using it we've been told since we've grown up that the cauliflower leaves should go in the trash right like that's not something that we should eat but we should start asking ourselves the question about why is that the case and what we can actually do with it. And again, going back to this idea of respect, circular cooking and zero waste cooking is a big effort as well, but it's more about the mindset of understanding that everything that you're cooking has a value and that there is a potential for everything to be reused. I think when you have that mindset on you, then yeah, this, this respect comes and then there's a much easier way for us to change our habits and take closer steps to a better and more sustainable life. It's interesting because I think it does take some creativity to use unusual parts of food in the kitchen, but I can also imagine it offers nutrients that we usually may not get. Who knows what is in these cauliflower leaves? They're probably very nutritious. And I'm just thinking back at all the cauliflower leaves that I've, that I've thrown away in my entire life, you know. <laughs> and they're 50% of the weight of the cauliflower also. It's like the whole vegetable. And it's actually so good. And peels are actually very, very nutritional. I think it's because they're the outer 
protective layer. So you have to be careful, obviously, if you don't get organic, to find either a way to soak them with vinegar, take out the pesticides. And if you get organic, obviously, that's even better. But the peels are full of carotenoids. This is obviously really important as well, right? Because otherwise, it sparks your curiosity. But if you want to communicate the nutrition, then it also might bring people a step closer to actually thinking, oh, you know, this is so nutritious. And I mean, cauliflower leaves and kimchi, what can be more healthy than that? And when looking into the topic, I found that they're the four most common ways of preserving foods, freezing, pickling, canning, and dehydrating. I wonder, do you feel like these ways of preserving the fresh foods, are they more necessary? Should we be eating more canned and pickled foods to reduce food waste? Is that a thing or is it just a way to deal with food waste that would have happened? Well, we preserve for two reasons. One is because we are taking something that would land otherwise in the trash or become compost at its best, and we are taking it and we are preserving it. So we're giving it a second chance, right? Like Because maybe all of those tons of food, you cannot just suddenly start cooking for everyone and give it to the people. And we also preserve because... I think that there is this magic in food preservation. There is this knowledge in the recipes, in the tradition. It obviously gives the food more time. So if you are at home and you see that maybe you were wrong to buy so many tomatoes, food preserving is definitely going to, instead of just throwing them away, you can decide to, of course, cook them at the moment. But if you had a lot, you can just decide to make a sauce. Something that Jenny do. One of our interview guests from Appeal mentioned all people in food waste are trying to achieve scale and struggling to scale solutions because it's inherently often an issue that is non-consistent and it's different, like the location is different, the quantity is different, the kind of produce is different and therefore it's just hard to build a very stable, consistent business on top of something that is like a <laughs> ever-changing water. Yeah, for sure. I also think that scale needs to be disrupted and seen differently as well because if we think that scaling is, I mean, obviously it's it even gives us the image that scaling means that you have to go up and that you have to make more and all of this. But there's other ways. You don't need to scale vertically. You can also scale horizontally. You can find different ways. It's definitely one of the challenges. And I've met a lot of people that always tell me, you know, you have to choose because I have so many products. And they're like, you have to choose. You, if you want to scale, you can't have so many products. And I'm still challenging that. I don't know. We'll see how we manage. I believe that two years now from making this, I sort of know which product can actually be done all year round and have the potential of being made in a bigger scale. So to sort of scale in a bigger quantity, five or six, and then the rest stays more local, stays more in Berlin. And then if you want to take Roots Radical somewhere else, you also have to see where you are, what's your regional, what's your seasonal to create this ecosystem of products and of preserves and of stories, and then also choose whichever products might work for you. You have to analyze every place you're at. If you're thinking that you're having it here and then you want to take it to Peru and it has to be exactly the same, I don't think that's going to work out because food waste, exactly as you say, it has so many variables and so many reasons why it's happening and also very unpredictable. Mm, yeah. It would be 
great if we can cover a few things that people can take away for their own cooking. I did some research as well. Actually, a friend of mine also recommended it to me. So then you have fruit that isn't that good anymore. It's like overripe, like bananas, or we have like some raspberries that if you puree it, even if it's just with a fork, and maybe put a little bit of sugar on it, if it's not that sweet, it can still be used quite nicely. What other ways of dealing with like overripe fruit come to your mind or anything related to food? Well, for that, I have a huge list because the ideas keep coming. One of the things that I always mention as well is to try and keep two Tupperwares at home where you can separate the vegetables and the fruits. With vegetables, uh, you can make as, as simple as a stock. If you have trims and peels of carrots and all of these things, just keep them in that Tupperware in your fridge. And at the end of the week, when you're prepping for your lunches or anything, you make a stock or you can do like a Sunday rescued risotto or something like that. So that is a simple. Sometimes we just buy a little parsley to use for a dish and then we have so much left over or we just use the leaves and we don't think what to do with the stems. So what I do with the stems is like a chimichurri because actually coriander and parsley, they all are really tasteful and you can add other herbs that you have. It doesn't have to be everything stems. You can chop them very roughly and add garlic and olive oil and mix them very well or with a mortar. And then you can have like a herb mix that will last in your fridge for a longer because it's preserved with some vinegar as well. And it's preserved with the acid and with the oil. And then you can add it on top of your potatoes or your grilled veggies. What you said about the fruit was great. I also save even the strawberry tips, but you can make really nice tea. The peels of the garlic, the peels of the ginger, I also keep, and then you can make a tea. It won't taste like garlic, and it will give you lots of good benefits as well. Yeah, it's fascinating. I recently watched a video on something they called like Soviet clothing culture. And my mother mm -hmm. is Russian, so I realized that Oh, that's like something, something very distinctly that generation. If, if she would buy something new, that would be always used only for special occasions. And then after wearing it a couple of times, then it becomes something you wear on a normal basis. Then if it's already worn a bit, you start wearing it at home. And then at some point, maybe you if it if you notice you really see that it was worn then you make strips out of it and you use it to clean countertops mm -hmm. so at each step you adjust how worn this piece of clothing is to what you're going to do with it and if we mm -hmm. draw a parallel to food it's looking at this this piece of food and thinking okay at this stage of how it is what can i use it for instead of just being like okay this is my fancy sweater and it doesn't look that fancy anymore so i'm just gonna get rid of it well maybe you can still exactly. sleep in it as a pj and it's totally fine <laughs> and i yeah, love these, these kind of parallels i'm always thinking like this right so it's very mm -hmm. easy for me sometimes to just like think, okay let's just try this or that but i think that's the thing we sort of like need to exercise the same way with clothes okay what do i do with this now and transform it and give them different life cycles the same with food yeah it's also 
just opening up that door and I hope that this episode will do that a good amount of listeners as we've learned we do have quite a bit of impact if we change our behaviors usually I'm more of a proponent of system change versus try to change everybody's individual behavior but in the case of food waste in the west it is something that really needs to be addressed and at the household level Monica, if you would have 50 million, in what businesses would you invest in if you wouldn't be able to invest in Roots Radicals? Yeah, I think the best would be food. And uh, I will continue investing on fighting food waste, but also hunger. Because I feel one of the biggest things that hurt me as well is the fact that there is so much food waste, but the fact that there's also so many people in the world that cannot get enough nourishment and they're sometimes even dying of, of hunger. And I would definitely invest also on education for, for women and women empowerment. I think the future needs more feminine energy and balance towards that side. Regarding food sustainability or agriculture, what is an unusual or controversial opinion that you have? Sometimes I'm posed with the question if I only rescue organic or what do we work with if we have organic. There are some companies that only want organic and I understand why. And I think for me in the future, I would perhaps be more inclined into that. But at the moment, I was faced with that idea of, okay, should I only rescue organic and then discard everything else? And it also felt like something that wasn't right. At the moment, we at Roots Radicals, we have some products, we have some suppliers that are purely organic, but we also work with conventional agriculture. And it was a difficult decision. And I think it will still be something I have to think on. And how can listeners connect with you? Send me an email. It's Monica at rootsradicals.berlin. Follow us in Instagram. We also have a community page online, which we hope soon we'll have some online courses. But yeah, shoot me an email. Um, super happy to connect. And LinkedIn. I'm also in LinkedIn. And you have a crowdfunding campaign running at the moment, right? How can listeners support you? Yes, Start Next is the platform, startnext.com slash rootsradicals. We first started in Tiny Kitchen. We're ready for the next step. We want to find our own production kitchen, be able to scale a bit more and grow our impact and also our community. So support us there. Lovely. Monica, it was great to have you on. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. I love, 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 love to hear from listeners. Let's connect. Find me on LinkedIn. My name is Marina Schmidt, M-A-R-I-N-A, -A, Marina, and Schmidt, S-C-H-M-I-D-T. Or simply look for Red to Green on LinkedIn and you will find me. Until next time, let's move the food industry from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green. <laughs>